It is Money Talk. It is seven minutes to nine and we're going to take a view on frontier markets and I'm very pleased to be joined uh, by Ruchia uh, Desai, uh, Fund Manager for Asia Frontier Capital. Ruchia, welcome to Money Talk. Good morning, James. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, uh, tell me what would you define as frontier markets? Well, I mean, if you look, there are a couple of ways to define frontier markets. So if you look at it technically, obviously you have, you know, index providers like MSCI which are globally renowned and they have various indexes for various markets. They have the MSCI Emerging Market Index, which has larger emerging markets like China, India and Thailand, Indonesia in those in that index. And they have the MSCI Frontier Index, which is which are markets basically which are slightly below emerging, uh, probably I would not say more risky, but slightly less developed. So markets like Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Kazakhstan, some of the uh, sub-Saharan African markets and some markets in Latin, Latin America. But also the frontier market index also includes a country like Vietnam, which is there for technical reasons, which we go on the ground in Vietnam is not really a frontier, as one would call it. It's much more like an emerging market, similar to many of the Southeast Asian countries. So that's how you define frontier markets, more technically speaking. But also on the ground, if you go uh, to countries like, say, Bangladesh and Pakistan, yes, they're slightly more or less developed than, say, in India or China or, or Thailand or Indonesia. And of course, then you have some of the markets in Africa also, which are less developed. So there are a couple of ways to look at it. Mm. But the universe is very broad. It's, 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 I would say it's larger than the emerging market universe because you have frontier markets across Asia, across Africa, across Latin America, and of course, in Eastern Europe as well. If we look perhaps at the ones that are closer to us here in um, Asia, what would you say are the ones that potential investors uh, could have a look at as, as being quite exciting and you know, perhaps at the forefront? Well, there are a couple of interesting markets to look at within the Asian frontier universe. So that's where we invest in. That's where we specialize in. Uh, on top of my, my mind is Vietnam, which is it's a very interesting market. And a lot of investors have shown interest in the last five or six years in Vietnam. There are a couple of things that are happening or going in Vietnam's favor. One is the fact that uh, there's a massive manufacturing shift happening into Vietnam, especially from mainland China. So you've seen many Chinese companies or foreign companies operating in China, moving their manufacturing operations to China. For example, Samsung now assembles more than 50% of their mobile phones or smartphones in Vietnam. You've seen Apple uh, produce the MacBook in Vietnam as well. Mm. And also other many foreign multinational companies are uh, moving their ma- manufacturing operations to Vietnam. So, for example, foreign direct investments into Vietnam have been consistently at about 6% of GDP over the last five or six years, which is, I think, amongst the highest in Asia. So that's bringing in the foreign investments. That, that's leading to job creation and therefore higher disposable incomes, which is helping you know consumption growth and also GDP growth as well. And of mm. course, exports also. So Vietnam has become very uh, a very important trade partner for many countries like the US, like Europe, uh, especially post the trade, trade tensions between China and the US. For example, monthly exports to the US from Vietnam have doubled over the last five years uh, since the trade tensions began. Right. Now, how about, how about uh, somewhere like Sri Lanka? Well, Sri Lanka is going... Uh, a couple of ways to look at it. One is obviously Sri Lanka has been in the news for the wrong reasons the last year or so. Uh, there were protests on the ground, civil unrest, political issues, plus, of course, the default on their debt. Uh, but I think they're going, they're slowly but surely getting through uh, the worst of the crisis. They've got the IMF deal pretty much in place. There are debt restructuring talks going on with their external creditors. Uh, and so it's moving out of the hole that they were in in the last couple of years. Uh, and also from a valuations perspective, extremely discounted, very cheap, uh, very ignored markets. So I would say from a, if you take a more long term view, that's a, something you can look at just from a contrarian point of view. And of course, on the ground, if you look at the 
assets that the country has. It's very tourism is a very important industry for the for the country, and it's very well located geographically. So you're seeing a lot of tourists coming from India, also Chinese tourists are coming in now. You have uh, a lot of tourists from Western Europe. So tourism is really picking up significantly in Sri Lanka, and it's really helping build up that foreign exchange reserves, mm. which is what they need, and that's most important for them. Now, what about the uh, the stands, Central Asia, you know, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and so on? Those are those are increasingly important as well, aren't they? Absolutely. So, a couple of things happening in Central Asia which are quite interesting. So, one from a longer term perspective, I think Uzbekistan is a market which stands out because of the fact that it was closed off to the rest of the world until 2018 or 2019 because the previous president was kind of authoritarian, and then now they got a new president in power in the last four or five years. He wants to open up the country, bring in foreign investments, reform the state for enterprises, bring in tourists as well. So they cons- over the last few years, uh, they've seen about 5 or 6% GDP growth. I think that's the forecast for the next few years as well because of the reforms happening, growing from a low base. Plus, it's, it's, the, it's, it's got the highest population amongst all the towns. It's got about uh, a population of 35 million, which is significantly more than Kazakhstan, which is about, about 18 million. So from a demographic perspective, also very interesting. So that's a more longer-term story there. But I would say since the war in Ukraine began last year, this region has benefited quite a bit. For example, Georgia really stands out because Georgia has seen GDP growth of 10% last year, given the fact that they've seen an influx of long-term visitors from Russia and Ukraine coming and settling down in the country, you know, starting businesses. That's really helped build up their foreign exchange reserves, uh, brought in a lot of remittances, helped, helped exports as well. And because of the sanctions on Russia, or in general, the uncertainty of doing trade with Russia, a lot, of the, a lot of the trade which goes from east to west via Russia, those supply chains are now moving via Central Asia through Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan uh, and Georgia as well. So, for example, mm. the biggest port in Georgia is operating at full capacity. So clearly this region is benefiting a lot from, from, from what's going on in Ukraine as well. Well, very interesting stuff, uh, these frontier markets. Uh, Rashia Desai is fund manager at uh, Asia Frontier Capital. Rashia, thanks very much for joining us uh, on Money Talk this morning.